You know, it's not hard for God to break your chains. It's an easy thing, the Lord says. You can snap those chains right off of you in a moment, in a second, before you even realize it. The Lord says, I want to use those chains for a purpose. I want to break them off. And what was uh, the enemy's tool to keep you in bondage, to keep you restrained, God's going to turn around and make it your tool to set people free, to lift people out. Chains can be an incredible tool to lift others out of the darkness, out of the fire, to give you an advantage over weights that are too heavy for you. What has held you back, God's going to use to propel you forward. If you allow him to, don't hold back, saints. Don't hold back. What God has in store for you in the future is greater than what you've seen in your past. Say that out loud. What God has for me in my future is greater than anything I've seen in my past. Do you really believe what you believe? that's really true. Wherever you are, what God has in store is greater. God's called you to, God is calling you to be a people of destiny, be chain breakers, not chain smokers. <laughs> I crack myself. <laughs> Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, worship team. All right, you may be seated. I used to ride a bicycle a lot. <clears throat> Sometimes 20, 30, 40 miles was just a short ride. And I'd be out there on a bike for an hour or two. And uh, <clears throat> especially this time of year, you know, it's so beautiful out there. The greens are so green. The sun glistening off the fields. I'd see something, I'd just crack up laughing. Riding a bicycle, 20 miles an hour, laughing. <laughs> now I do it on a motorcycle. More like 80 or 90 miles an hour. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Uh, just when I'm passing other people on 70 miles an hour on the highway. <clears throat> it's okay to have fun. God's right there. You can't outrun God. In fact, we need to speed up to keep up with him. And if there's anyone I've ever met that's uh, in a speedy pursuit of the things of God, it's the man that's about to come up and speak. Josh has done more uh, for the kingdom of God to... to to help people in the most desperate situations in life over the last, uh, what, seven years I've known him, than I've seen and done by ministries over 50, 60 years. Seriously. Like, it's just amazing to see 
Um, and it's just a grace, you know. I'm, I'm bragging on Josh, but jo- I know I can do this because I know Josh is humble. He's not proud. It's just a grace. I mean, God, uh, there's a need, and Josh just says, let's meet the need. And, like, literally, semi-truck loads. I was there one night, about 10 p.m., it was the biggest semi-truck I've ever seen pulls up, loaded with food. And, the, and they have a, a WhatsApp thing for the whole community. And like, <clears throat> is, am I right that the, the cartel boss for that neighborhood kind of... The cartel says, yeah, when you need help unloading the truck, just let me know. I'll send all my guys down there. And there were a couple hundred people in the street, and this big truck, and it was like a street party. Everyone's happy because everyone knew this semi-truck was full of food. They they unloaded it, and there was also several pallets of toys in there. And the guys were those 50-pound bags of grain, and then the guys were, like, trying to show off. Like, one guy took two, another guy took three, and I'm like, wow. And so uh, I've just seen with my own eyes people getting saved, people getting healed, doors literally opening, uh, and God providing houses, warehouses, truckloads of food. And so the reason we've invited uh, Don and Jackie and, and Josh here, because you need to catch an anointing, all right? You need to catch it. There's an impartation, and we need to be the kind of people that can believe for impossible things for a generation that needs God to show up. So would you open up your hearts and mind and receive Josh? Come on up, Josh. Such an honor to get to be with you again tonight. And just uh, just want to invite you, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit again. He's already here. He's here. I'm blasted right now. <laughs> but sometimes we just need to recognize and acknowledge and welcome him. Yeah. You, know, you know, you know how you feel when you walk into a place and someone sees you and recognizes you and acknowledges you and welcomes you? Yeah. It's, you feel welcome. You feel special. You feel loved. Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit, he, he feels the same way. When the church welcomes the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we just take for advantage or take for granted that he's here. And he is. Two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. But we forget to welcome him. And we forget just to say, Holy Spirit, we honor your presence among us. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. Mm. Jesus, thank you for being here in this place. Thank you, God. Just tell him thank you for something. Something today, something that he's done for you in your life. Tell him thank you for your faithfulness to me. Thank you for your goodness to me. There's something about thankfulness that activates blessing in our life. Lord, we give thanks to you. We give thanks to you. We give thanks for your goodness. We give thanks for this opportunity we have to worship and fellowship and celebrate your name. Come, Holy Spirit, and take us deeper, O Lord. Oh, Lord, we welcome you, God. 
We welcome you, Roshene Machadecha, Behanda Ronde de Hende de Hende de Hende de Ha, Bosjanda de Hende de Hey. Oh, you are worthy of our praise. Mara Ate Shecha, Baruch Hashem, Atadonai, Loheinu Israel, Mahala Machayin Isachaye. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let your fire ooh, fall in us. Take us deeper. Take us to a new level, oh God. Let hunger be birthed within us, oh Lord. Let your goodness just overwhelm us, but let it make us more hungry than ever before. We hunger for you. We truly hunger for you in everything, God. <laughs> ah, come Holy Spirit. Ven Espíritu Santo, Señor. Wow, thank you, Lord. Jesus, take us deeper, 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 Lord. Whew. During worship, I felt like we were supposed to do something tonight. And I feel like he has no idea where I was about to do this, but I feel like we need to just pray and honor them and bless them. Bless this amazing couple. And I feel like that he had no idea. He didn't ask me to, to do this, but I felt like the Lord has a word for you guys in particular. And I want to pray for, want to pray for um, Bill and Mary Lee, uh, Mary, 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 Mary Lee, Mary Lee tomorrow, but <laughs> Mary Lou, Mary Lee, I couldn't, I couldn't remember if it was Lou or Lee. Merrily, merrily, but I want to pray for you. We're going to pray for you guys tomorrow night, but I just feel like there's just something powerful that unlocks the blessing in when we honor, and we, we, we honor the anointing on someone's life, and you can sit or you can stand, but if you feel led, just come and just lay, lay hands on them and gather around them. Uh, if you're part of this church, part of this leadership team, I just feel like the Lord just wants to release a blessing over this couple, and I feel like the Lord wants to honor you for your years of faithfulness. This is what I feel the Lord saying to tell you. That for years you've sowed in the missions in so many ways. You've sowed and you've you've wept and you've cried out for the nations. You've you've poured out sacrificially when you need, when the, when you had needs you didn't say it. When you had needs you held those things back so that you could send things to the mission field. You could you could send resources. You could send people. And and I, I know some of that because I know you. But this is what I just feel the Lord saying. I feel like the Lord says that He honors you and He wants to honor you publicly. And, and I feel like there's something significant about me having just a small opportunity to do this because it's like the mission field is rising up and honoring you. Yeah. And that Mexico and other, other nations that God has given me the opportunity to serve in, we just, we just want to declare and honor and bless you. We want to bless, bless you, bless the church, bless, bless this amazing church that is sowed into missions in so many ways. And you've been tested by fire. And you've been tested by, hey, so many things that the enemy has tried to do to take you both out. 
but the grace of the Lord and the fire of the Lord, you've stewarded it faithfully. You've kept going. And this is what I hear the Lord saying for this next season. I see you going forward like a bulldozer into new places. And I see you taking new ground. And I feel the Lord saying that there's going to become a release. Hey, a new level of grace of the apostolic released on you. And that the, it, it, for for years you've known it was time to step in and you step into that grace, step into that anointing, but it, it's been like you've been, okay, am I, am I here or am I there? Am I here or am I there? And you're caught in between, but I feel like the Lord is releasing you and he's saying, run, run, carry the fire. And I see an anointing for building on your life, for building in greater ways. And you've, what you've learned in this season of pastoring, I see the Lord taking it and steward as you've stewarded it faithfully for many years in in a seemingly small way the lord says now i'm going to take it i'm going to multiply it i'm going to multiply and i hear the word multiplication over you both i hear the grace just the lord saying that word multiplication and speaking it over you a grace for multiplication hey an anointing to multiply disciples an anointing to raise up and to establish and take ground and to equip and to go and encourage and the Lord has made you like a Barnabas to go and stand alongside and raise up the arms of other leaders. And oftentimes Barnabas didn't get the credit for, for what he, for, he didn't get the credit a lot of times. And people overlooked Barnabas because Paul was the more dynamic of the personalities. But Barnabas was every bit as much an apostle as Paul was. And I feel like the Lord says to honor that, that Barnabas the way you've walked as Barnabas for so many years, to so many ministries of lifting them up, lifting up their arms behind the scenes, standing behind the scenes. And I feel like the Lord says that it needed to be done in a public way. And we honor you in this public way right now, both of you, because you are one. And the, I honor you, Kathy, for allowing your husband to go all these crazy places and do all these things <laughs> and to stand so faithfully and stand and... and, and whew, empower him to do that we just honor you and just speaking as someone on the mission field who has been so directly blessed by you thank you <laughs> thank you you're making me cry now but thank you I just honor you both honor the seeds you've sown and we honor that apostolic anointing on your life from both of you yeah. Ooh, the apostolic anointing for encouragement to go into a place and encourage to call, to build up, to build up, to build up, to build up. And just hear those words over and over again. Build up, construct, construct, build, build, build. Because the kingdom, hey, the kingdom is advancing and there's an acceleration of the Holy Spirit. And I just feel like everything that the Lord has placed on Kaleo, everything that God has given us in this ministry, where we've seen that acceleration, Lord, I just ask you, do it in them. Do it in them. Do it here in New Day, God. Do it, hey, in Harvest Alliance, God. Do it. Multiplication, God. A new level of multiplication grace. Father, power and fire in their hands. Multiplication anointing. In the name of Jesus. And that same grace, we're going to pray over you guys tomorrow, but I just feel like the Lord says to release that same grace of multiplication. Where's, where's Bill? Bill, there you are. <laughs> that same grace of multiplication. Hey, multiplication, multiplication over this house. A grace, hey, an impartation from you, Holy Spirit. 
for multiplication over, hey, over new day. In Jesus' name, take them to a new level, oh God. In Jesus' name, more, 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 more. And we whoo, give honor where honor is due. Jesus' name. Woo. <laughs> ah. And everyone just say, we receive it too. Whoo. Ah, we receive it too. We just bless you guys. Thank you. Whoo. Ah. Oh. Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> Woo. I want to share with you tonight about Kairos moments. And how do we steward the Kairos moments and the Kairos seasons of our lives? In the book of Mark, chapter 1, through uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This word that's used here for the time, when it talks about the time has come, is the word Kairos. Now, there's, there's at least two ways to talk about time in the, in the Greek language. Uh, one is the word chronos, and the other is the word kairos. And the word chronos, we'll start with chronos. Chronos is where we get our, our term chronological. Chronos follows a, uh, it, it follows a linear structure. Chronos, by its nature, is linear. It you, it's, describes how we are born, we grow up, we get married, we have children, we live our lives, and then we die. That's, that's Kronos. Kronos is our schedule. Kronos is everything that we order. It is ordered. You know, the Bible orders our days. I'm sorry, the Bible says that God orders our days. He organizes our time. We have a certain amount of Kronos here on this earth. But the word that's used here is the word Kairos. And what Kairos means is Kairos is defined as this. It is a moment, it is a special time, it is a time set apart, it is a time of God, it is a season that exists outside of the limitations of Kronos, where God himself begins to come into our Kronos schedule, and at times destroy our Kronos schedules, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and he does in a Kairos moment what could not be done in many, many years of Kronos. Make sense? Things can happen in this time that is kairos if we pay attention to what it is he's doing. So Jesus says here, he says, the kingdom of God has come near. The time has come. The season is here. The kairos is now. So our response must be to repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe, repent and receive, but there is a certain moment there's a certain time in our lives, times in our lives, where we have to recognize what it is that God is doing in that season. Because oftentimes, if we miss the Kairos moment, we may have to wait a while for another Kairos moment to come around. So the word Kairos, it's, it, I love Kairos. People oftentimes um, don't understand how it is that sometimes in the mission field and in certain places... It's like things move faster than in other places, except when it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't move faster. Sometimes things move very slow. But there are moments, there are, there are times 
where God invades in the, in, the, in the history of a people or in the history of a nation or in the history of a city or a community. There are moments where God will invade and suddenly we see the Holy Spirit coming in and doing in just a matter of months or years or just within a few decades what hadn't, has not been done in other places over the course of many years of striving. But it's because of this thing called Kairos, this moment where God chooses to invade. We had someone one time, he's become a friend since, but at the time when I was, I was preaching one time, this uh, pastor, he, uh, he, he was sitting in the back and listening to me sharing all these stories about the miracles and the things that were happening and the expansion and the growth of churches and all these things. And then um, he was sitting in the back and he just was thinking to himself, this has to be fake. This has to be fake. And then at the end I said, and listen, if you don't believe me, just come visit us. And I don't normally say that, but I just happened to say that at that time. And uh, he thought to himself, well, if this was fake, then he probably wouldn't be inviting everybody to come. And so he ended up having lunch with, uh, with somebody that was, you know, hit it off with this other uh, missionary that was actually a missionary with us that was at the same conference. And he was talking to the guy and he opens up and he says, you know, I just think, you know, I know God does miracles and things, but this Josh guy that spoke, that has to be, he has to be a fraud. There's no way that things could happen like that in that time frame. And the missionary who was a missionary with us and been a missionary with us for a while, he's sitting there and he's cracking up. And finally he just says, listen, I got to tell you, those stories, I was there for about half of them. And I was there and it's true. And, you know, these things, these miracles that are happening, it really is happening like that. So this same pastor decided to come visit us and check us out. And he came, and so I didn't know that any of that, but I, I, he came, and I, I took him to the prison because uh, we were doing jail ministry. And the Holy Ghost fell on him, and he got stuck to the floor in, the, in a filthy prison, a Mexican prison. And he's stuck to the floor during the church service. And he comes up and recognizes that God can do things in a moment of kairos. And he told me that we've become friends since then and everything like that. But sometimes we look from the outside at what God is doing in, in any place where he, he's moving. And we think to ourselves, God, what, what, why is there such acceleration in this certain place in Mozambique or in Toronto or Mexico or wherever it may be? Why is there an acceleration there and not here? And I want to share, you, just share with you some of the keys I've found for you to grab a hold of a Kairos moment in your own life that will actually bring about acceleration in your own spiritual growth, but also in the growth of the church. And this is not one of those lessons that's, you know, 10 keys to revival. I don't work that way. I, I, if I could find 10 keys to revival, I would, I would use them. I'd use them all. But I'll tell you this, this is, these are principles I've learned from the word, but also from experience about what it means to grab a hold of the promises of God and recognize the kairos moments in our community that God is giving us to see the kingdom invade in the people around us and in our lives. So kairos and chronos are two different things. One of the problems oftentimes is, for, for you and for me, is that we get so busy in our daily schedule of chronos our scheduling, the chronological things, all the different things we've got to do. We're busy, busy, busy. And I'm the worst at it. I'm busy all the time. I'm constantly going. I get up in the morning early, phone calls, emails, 
traveling around doing this and going here, visiting this church and traveling, travel probably a third of, of the year, uh, visiting the different works and churches we have and missionaries. I'm busy. But I want to tell you, one of the things I've learned is sometimes the enemy of recognizing what God wants to do in a certain moment is our scheduling and all the things we have in our daily life because it blinds us oftentimes to what it is that God may actually be doing. We don't discern what it is that God desires to do. And oftentimes we see that with, in the life of, of the, the people that were around Jesus. Jesus was very, he was always led by the Holy Spirit and the disciples didn't understand him because he would, at the moment where he had the biggest crowds, that's where he'd say, okay, I'm done. And he'd go off somewhere else. Why? Because he had a, he knew there was a Kairos moment awaiting him in another place. He would leave the multitudes to meet with one woman at the well. Because that was the Kairos moment. He recognized that the Kairos moment with the multitude had passed. And so he'd say, now it's a Kairos moment for someone else. So we need to recognize and discern the Kairos moments in our life and be willing to set aside and allow, allow God to wreck our Kronos plans. So that we can recognize what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing. It's a chosen time. It's an appointed time. It's a moment that God chooses to invade. And it exists outside of the limitations of the linear schedules of our lives. When I was, uh, I was in Kenya um, in, uh, in November of last year. And uh, was traveling with Don. And Don Raglan. And uh, we were traveling back from Kenya. And Don just happened to be reading a book on the Azusa Street Revival, testimonies of the Azusa Street Revival. And uh, he told me a story, and it impacted me. Um, he was telling a story from the book that, about how William Seymour, when he had gone to, uh, to California, he opened up his, uh, he preached his first message at a church. He didn't plant the church. He opened, he just preached his first message of the church that had hired him in California on February 22nd, 1906. He preached about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He preached about a baptism of fire resulting in a gift of tongues. That's what God wanted to do today. Well, that ruffled some feathers in the church that he was preaching in. And the leaders that had brought him out there and had hired him to be their pastor, they didn't take too kindly to this seeming, at that time, a strange doctrine. And the same day that he preached his first sermon, he also preached his last sermon at that church, and they fired him. But they didn't have, even have the courage to fire him to his face. They just changed the locks. So the poor guy comes back to church, and the locks are changed. He can't get into the church that he was supposedly now the pastor of because the leaders had changed the locks. Talk about a moment of truth, a moment of what do you do? You moved all the way across the country. You've given your life to now, you're going to be a pastor of this church, and you get fired the very first day. And he's standing, I can imagine, William Seymour, during a time when there was segregation between African Americans and, 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 and whites, standing outside going, what am I going to do? Now what? Got sent there with a purpose, had, felt like he had a calling from God to go. And there he was standing outside, locked outside of the church that he was supposed to be pastoring. And so Don was just sharing that story. I'd never heard that. I didn't know he got fired from his first church. And eventually, you know the story. He goes on and ends up uh, you know, going to a group of youth, and then the Holy Spirit falls at Azusa Street, and amazing revival. And all of us trace our roots back to that revival. But as we were contemplating this, I couldn't get this thought out of my head. What happened to the church that fired him? 
And seriously, what happened to the people that fired the revival? And it made me think, and it put a, I mean, it just stirred up a holy fear of the Lord within me of saying, God, I don't want to ever be part of the church or an aspect of the church that shuts down what it is you're doing. Because oftentimes you don't get another shot at it. You don't get another opportunity when something, when the opportunity of a lifetime comes around, you may not get another opportunity like that again. So whatever happened to that church that fired William Seymour? And that question was going through my brain, and and this statement, I just began to be uh, something I would pray about, and I would say, Lord, I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to miss a season. I don't want to miss a Kairos moment, because ultimately, that's what happened in this church. That's what happened in the church that fired William Seymour the first time. They recognized that they were offended, and because they were offended by what they saw, they they chose to reject a Kairos moment. And because of that, they became obsolete. I can imagine that they just probably went into kind of obscurity and just eventually petered out. But the reality is, oftentimes when you reject the Kairos moment of the Lord, you suddenly find yourself shut out from the blessing that God desires to pour out on you. So we never, I I began to think about that and just meditate on this this concept and said, Lord, Help us not miss a Kairos moment. Lord, I don't want to miss a Kairos moment. I don't want to miss a Kairos moment. Coming back from Africa, came back to uh, Reynosa, where I live, Reynosa, Mexico. My wife and I have lived there now for about coming up on nine years. Uh, We planted a base. We have churches there. We have a a refugee. Well, I'll tell you about that in a minute. We have all these different things that God is is doing. uh, We help drug addicts. We feed the poor. Um, We have, you know, probably multiple different house groups, lots of different house groups. And there's a lot of things that are happening. School of missions, leader school, um, church planting school, a lot of things that go on. But I came back from, from, from Africa thinking about that concept, thinking, Lord, help us not miss a Kairos moment. Help us not miss a Kairos moment. And as I'm coming back, my wife is just filling me in on, on what's going on. She picks me up at the airport. She says, she said, you know, we've, uh, we started going to the, the refugee center again while you were gone because there, there have been a flood of refugees that have flood, come into our city. People, there's probably, she said, there's probably maybe 2,000 or 3,000 refugees living in the plaza camping uh, outside with their families, with their little children, people from Haiti, Guatemala, Salvador, Nicaragua, people literally from all over Central and South America uh, who would come to Mexico or come to Mexico to try to plead asylum? This, these aren't people that are trying to cross illegally. They're they're people that have come to the border to plead for an asylum case. Some of them have fled from gang violence in Haiti. Some of them have fled from uh, you know, been people that were had, were in, had been in politics in their country and their party lost and they had to run for their lives. And, I mean, all sorts of horrible stories. Gangs that had threatened their families and said. Uh, if you don't come up with this amount of money, we're going to kill you all. And they just had to flee in the middle of the night. Stories like that from all over Central and South America. And so people, there were thousands of these people that had just begun to appear in our city. And it had cr- created a, a humanitarian crisis. Uh, Doctors Without Borders was there. The UN was there. All these different organizations were there. The Mexican government was like, we have no idea what to do with all these people. Literally, if you can imagine... Thousands of people showing up in a plaza of a town that is not a multicultural city. 
Reynosa is like, it is a, it's a Mexican border town. The only cultures there are Americans that come over and, you know, and buy things. And back in the day, would come and party. They don't anymore because it's too violent. But that's, and, and Mexicans, that's about, every, it's, that's about it. And suddenly, you have into that mix thousands of Haitians, Africans, people that, you know, from all over the place. It's a very violent, um, it's a very dangerous place for them. Very dangerous. And so my wife is just sharing, you know, all these refugees, and she shows me, and, and it had just exploded, the number of refugees, it just exploded. And I just couldn't get that, this thought out of my head. Don't miss the Kairos moments. Don't miss a Kairos moment of the Lord. So I was just watching, and I was thinking about this, and I go into our staff meeting, and, and I go to share with our, all of our missionary staff. We have once a week, all of our pastors and missionaries and leaders come together, and we have a church service kind of for all of our team. And I was supposed to share a short little devotional of 15 minutes. And I began to share, and I shared this word about William Seymour, and just challenged our leaders and said, what does it look like for us not to miss a Kairos moment? How can we maintain a heart that we don't miss a Kairos moment of the Lord? The Holy Ghost fell, and three hours later, we were picking ourselves up off the floor. And then afterwards, my, my wife had been taking our team, and they'd been going to the refugee center and get, handing out food and praying for people. So we go and with our team, and about half our team was just drunk in the spirit and and we were going to, the, going to this refugee center. The, it's one of the better places. It's a church that runs it. They have space for 300, um, uh, 600 max. They have space for 600 people maximum. Uh, and they had 1,200 people at the time in camps and tents just lined up, people everywhere. Every spare space. Uh, there was a family. There was children. There were mothers with their little babies sleeping on mats out in the open or in tents. So we go up, and in the middle of this, this mass of humanity, uh, we're walking along and just going tent to tent and praying for people and ministering to people. And I come to this one lady, and my wife and I just say, can we pray for you? She's just sitting there, and she didn't even raise her head. She just, si, si puedes orar por mi. You can pray for me. And we just gathered around her and laid hands on her and began to pray. And as soon as I touched her, the Holy Spirit showed me everything that had happened to her, just in a, in a vision. Showed me she'd been raped. She'd been abused. They tried to kill her, and they left her for dead. They thought they had, and they'd thrown her out and left her for dead. That she'd been kidnapped and extorted for money. They tried to get money out of her family, and they left her for dead when they realized they couldn't. And I began to just say these things to her. I said, the Lord says, he's healing you of the memory of this and this and this. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the most horrific personal prophecy I've ever had to give to somebody. I'm saying the Lord is healing you of the memory of when you were raped. Like that's every goes against everything you think you should do in prophetic ministry. I stare with her and I'm sharing this, and tears are streaming down her face. She looks up at me and she says, "Everything you said is true." And she said, "I was sitting here and I thought that God had forgotten me." And she said, "Everything you've said happened has happened to me." She said, "It happened on the streets. It happened here in Reynos. It happened on the way." These women, when they come up. They, get it, they usually get birth control shots before they leave their home countries because they know they're going to be raped multiple times on the journey up. Many of them have children that were, have, were born on, on, the, on the trail, not from their boyfriend or family back home, but because of rape along the way. It's a horrible life. And I walked away from that. We ministered to her, and she accepted the Lord. It was beautiful. And go back, and I'm just, I'm wrecked. 
I'm saying, God, what do we do? I can't sleep on a nice bed at night knowing that there's women and little children that are being raped on our streets. This is our city. This is our place. I cannot do that. I can't have to do something. So we walk, and we're walking out, and I'm just kind of little in my own little world, and the pastor who runs the center comes, and he's, bless his heart, completely just overwhelmed. And he walks up just kind of like a deer in the headlights, and he just walks up, and I hug him. We're friends. I did his wedding uh, when he married his wife, and, and he comes up, and he just says, this is crazy. No one's ever seen it like this. And we're talking, and I said, what can we do? What can we do? He said, I don't know. He said, I have 500 more people that are outside that are families with little children. Not even talking about the single adults, not even talking about um, families with larger kids, but families with little babies and little children that are most vulnerable. He said, I have 500 people outside that, he said, I have no space for anywhere. And I looked at my wife, and I said, you know what I'm about to do, right? She knows that look. You know, wives, they, they know that look when, they, when they're about to, their husband's about to do something either great or stupid. <laughs> and there's always a thin line between the two. And I looked at her and said, you know what I'm about to do, right? She said, yeah. I said, you're okay with it? She said, I think so. <laughs> something like that. And I said, we'll take them. We'll take them. And then, you know, it dawned on me, I, was, I have no idea where we're going to put 500 people. We don't have a place for five. We don't have it. We didn't have any of the infrastructure. I want to tell you what it looks like to take hold of a Kairos moment. It oftentimes looks like facing a crisis, Amen. facing a wave of, a, of a just insane crisis of this world and looking at it and saying, I have no idea how, but I say yes. Amen. If I can tell you the reason why God in his sovereignty and his grace has continued to use this little ministry called Kaleo in the middle of the Mexican bush, <laughs> dusty little city in the middle of nowhere, and all of our different churches and ministries all over the place. It's just because we're just people that have said, we don't want to miss an opportunity, and we'll say yes. We'll say yes, because oftentimes a crisis or an opportunity comes dressed as a crisis. Right. And so I just said, we'll, we'll, we'll take them. And the pastor looked at me. He said, you'll take them? I said, yeah. I said, I've got a big circus tent that somebody gave me. And I, I, said, I, I said, my team, I said, we'll, we'll take them. I said, don't tell my team. I have to, t <laughs> I'll tell my team. Don't tell my team. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what? Is my, my team is going to think I've lost my mind. My, my poor team, they're, they're wonderful. They're full of faith, but sometimes they're like, they're like, okay, we're, we're with you, but we don't see how, <laughs> you know? And they're, but they're amazing people. And I went and told them, I'm like, listen, we have to do something. And we're going to take these people in. They're like, where are we going to put them? They're like, I'm like, I don't know. What kind of beds are we going to, where, where are we going to get the beds? Where are we going to get the mattresses? Where are we going to get the food? I'm like, I have no idea. At that point, we'd emptied out our warehouse. We didn't have any food. We'd given it all to the refugees. I said, like, I don't know. Well, what, what, or we can put them here. We can put them there. Oh. Let's find a way. So we began to pray. We sought the Lord. What do we do? So we, and I ended up all of a sudden after I said yes, I ended up in a meeting with all these major NGOs and the Mexican government and all these different people. And I just said, hey, this is what we have. I have, we have two church buildings. And I said, and I have a property by the river that this guy who was um, formerly in the import-export business, 
uh, who loves the Lord now and is serving God, he, uh, he had sold me that property uh, for a very cheap price. We found out later that it was the place where one of the very first Christian churches was ever built in Reynosa, like 70 or eight, 60 or 70 years ago. Uh, the site of it. it still has the foundation of one of the, of the, first, one of the first Christian churches uh, ever built in Reynosa. One of the first, actually, in northern Mexico, from what, what the neighbors told me. And I said, we've got this property. So I take these people from the government and other places, other you know, NGOs, and I show them what we have in the, our church buildings. It just didn't work. It was too far from the border. And I take them to this property. Now, I want you to get a picture of this. This, is, this property is not in a good area. It is in a rough area. It's right by the Rio Grande. It's in, a, it's in a dirt road that goes right in front of it. You have to turn down a dirt road, and it's in the middle of a ranchito. A, that's what they call like a village. And so, but it was just three minutes away from where the city was going to make all the refugees move to. So it was, in, it was strategically located. The city had never given me permission to build there because we were in an area that had been zoned as a, a floodplain, even though it hadn't, ever, hadn't flooded in many, many years. And so it's there, and it's dry. It's, it's, there's no water. There's no water, no plumbing, no, nothing from the city. It's in the middle of, it's seemingly in the middle of nowhere, even though you're like right on the outskirts of the city. So I took him out there, and I said, what do you think about this? And one of the other NGOs said, here's $10,000, build the wall around it. Build a security wall around it. Mexican government, I ended up in a meeting with the mayor and with the state government and the federal people, and they said, listen, we don't care about the permits, build it. You have the permission, build. We need to get the people, yeah, we'll, get, we'll handle the permissions. Build it and get it started. Someone paid for a well for us to dig a well. Now we have a well and we hit good water. Good water in the middle of nowhere. We hit excellent water. And all these things begin to happen. And in January, we broke ground. And in a, the end of April, we accepted our first people into the center. We have a place now that'll that'll host. We uh, right now, I think we have about 300, two to 300 uh, people that are living their families with little babies and little children and you know, medical conditions and things like that. And God is encountering them. They're they're actually doing. Uh, they're fasting this week. They decided they wanted to do a fast. So all the believers and the new believers, they decided to fast. They're fasting. They did their first fast last week. They are, they're organizing prayer times where they're praying through the night doing overnight prayer meetings, Re Haitian refugees. We have like 99% Haitians in our center right now. And they're praying through the night and doing overnight prayer meetings and seeking God. And the Holy Ghost is falling. Witches and voodoo, and people that were into voodoo are getting delivered radically by the power of God. We had three that got delivered last week. And the power of God's moving. We baptized people the day before I left. I want to tell you, God is moving in incredible ways. But it started with looking and saying, we have to do something. A Kairos moment, oftentimes, you can recognize it because it oftentimes looks like a crisis. For William Seymour's life, his Kairos moment, what launched him into his Kairos moment was actually the crisis of getting fired. And here's the thing, you don't have to go looking for crisis, believe me, don't look for persecution, don't look for problems, they, it will find you. But Kairos moments in our lives oftentimes come dressed as a crisis or a problem. I don't know if you remember when the earthquakes hit in Huutla, uh, Huutla, one of our southern base in Mexico, when the earthquakes hit, 
Um, it was, we've been praying for revival, saying, God, we want revival. We want to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we, uh, it, the Lord had had me preaching on Psalm 91. I visited all our churches down there, and I preached on Psalm 91. You know, I hadn't preached on that in a while, I preached on Psalm 91. And we just all began to declare it like a week or two before the earthquakes. We were declaring Psalm 91. The earthquakes hit, and do you know that out of our churches, not one of our buildings were destroyed? Not one part, well, I think we had one lady in one of our churches that had their house, that their house fell over. But of that, I believe, if I'm not wrong, there was, we didn't lose any, no one lost their houses. One, per, one lady lost her house, and a couple of guys that lived in a rented house lost their house. But beyond that, no one lost their house. So you'd be, you'd go into a neighborhood where the entire neighborhood had been flattened, and there was like one or two houses standing, and those were the homes of the Christians. And so the Lord began to speak to me and said, Sometimes revival looks differently than what we think it's going to look like. And, you know, in that time, we saw hundreds of people come to the Lord, sent, I think we probably sent 10, 18 wheelers uh, filled with food to to help out during the disaster. And people came from all over the place to help and to serve. Because oftentimes a Kairos moment will come dressed as a crisis. We have to learn to recognize that there are moments of favor in our lives, moments of God's, of, of a Kairos opportunity, that if we take a hold of that opportunity, we can see his power poured out in a great way. And in a Kairos season, things move faster than they could during our chronological time and our chronological understanding. It's outside. God invites us into his realm, which is outside of the limitations of, of Kronos. Kairos is a season of favor. In the book of 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, he sa- for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is twice that the word kairos is used. It says, for in the kairos of my favor. I want to tell you, there is a moment, there are seasons in our lives where there is a kairos favor. It is a season of exceptional favor from God. Pay attention to that. Because how you steward the Kairos Kairos faithfulness of God in that season, the Kairos favor of God in that season will propel you into the next. Are are you with me? Are you understanding? That how we steward the favor of God in one season propels us into the next place. One of the things I've learned over the years is to never say no to God. And it sounds super simple. It sounds simplistic. It sounds like it, that can't be the easy, that can't be, that can't be possible. That's just too, that, that sounds too easy. But I've learned, I'm not saying I never have, I'm just saying I've learned that when possible, when I know it's him, to never say no. Amen. To never say no to him. We had the opportunity to be in South Sudan. Uh, I think Don may have shared a little bit about this. Uh, for the last 10 years, I've not, had the, I've not been able to go back to South Sudan. I love that nation. It's one of the places in Africa, uh, Sudan and South Sudan are, are two of the places, two of the countries that have one of the largest concentrations of completely unreached and unengaged tribes. I had the chance to go back for the first time in about 10 years. And we went and found that there are, that there are still people groups that are com- almost completely inaccessible 
tribe called the Como that we're, we're raising and training up people to go and plant churches among that tribe. Another tribe called the J people group. Another tribe called Agassim. Other tribes that have never heard the gospel before. And we looked at that and we, we, we begin to recognize and say, this is a Kairos moment. And I want to tell you, sometimes a Kairos moment, saying yes to a Kairos moment, means that you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to go to places and to people that no one else cares for, no one else wants. When the Lord called us to move to Mexico, I thought I would be a missionary in Africa. And the Lord spoke to me. We were just visiting the border many years ago and came to Reynosa, came to pray because it was the most violent border city at that time. And I said, let's go there and let's pray. I was in university at the time, finishing up my, finishing up my, college, or finishing up my master's. And I said, let's go there. We go in and prayed on the, on the border, went to every border crossing. We went to, crossed in some places that the military at the checkpoints crossing into Mexico said, do you have any idea where you're going? And I said, yeah, we're going to this town. They said, do you have any idea what's happening there? And I said, yeah, we do. And they said, okay, well, vaya con Dios, go with God, <laughs> which is a nice way of saying we'll never see you again. We went into some of these places, and we would go pour out oil and anoint the ground and say, God, send revival. Came to Reynosa, town where we live now. God said he wanted to pour out revival. He wanted to raise up a school of missions. And I saw all these things in the Spirit, prophesied it to the pastors we were with. He said, this is, there's a revival coming to Mexico. It's going to impact the nations. And people are going to come from the north, the south, the east, and west to be trained. I'll put in a plug for our mission school. If you want to come to a mission school, a fiery mission school that will give you hands-on missions, experience on the field, in a place that, um, that you'll see the power of God poured out, I invite you to come. Come join us for a church planter school, leader school, or a mission school. But the Lord spoke that to me years ago and said, this is what I want to do in this city. Prophesied it. Said, this is for them. Wash my hands of it. I'm going to Africa. A few months later, or about... Six or seven months later, I'm in a time of prayer, seeking God, fasting. We're getting ready to move to Africa. The Lord speaks to me, and he says, do you remember what you prophesied in Reynosa? I said, yeah, fire, revival. We're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, or they're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not we, they. <laughs> Mission school. He said, yeah, it wasn't for them, it was for you. Move to Reynosa and do what I've called you to do. I don't tell you, sometimes the Kairos moments of the Lord completely destroy our Kronos plans of what we think the rest of our life may look like. Sometimes saying yes to the plan of God means being willing to say no to what the way in which you planned your own life. And I just said, Lord, you know me. You know I'll go. And we just said yes. I said, I, I don't know how to tell my wife. How am I going to tell my wife that we're not moving to Africa? Because when we had first met, I told her, listen, um, our first date, I'd said, listen, I'm going to be a missionary serving, or we're going to be a missionary serving in Africa, probably in a war zone in the Congo or in South Sudan somewhere, living in a mud hut, getting my water out of the river. If that's not what you want, there's no point in going on a second date. So I was, I was fairly upfront. <laughs> very, I'm, yeah, very romantic. I'm more romantic than that, but figured I'd, figured I'd be honest right up front. And... She said yes, so she's as crazy as I am. And she said yes to that, and I'm thinking, how do I tell her that God is saying not Africa, but Mexico? 
went and told her, and she just started to weep, and she said, the Lord told me that, I think a month or so before, <laughs> and she said, she's just been waiting, she just said, Lord, thank you for telling me this, but I cannot be the one to tell my husband, you tell my husband. <laughs> Sometimes, men, we're a little bit slower on things. The Lord spoke it to me, and so two weeks later, we moved to Reynosa. I want to tell you, when God speaks, there, there, is, an, there is an urgency to our obedience. Yes. Part of stewarding a Kairos moment of God is immediate obedience. And that doesn't mean necessarily that when God says, okay, you're going to be a missionary, it means that you have to move tomorrow. But it means you have to take a step toward it. You have to take a step toward the plan in order to be able to be faithful in stewarding the Kairos moment or the opportunity or the season of God. It says, for in the time of my favor, in the Kairos of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. There is a moment, there is a time, there is a favor of the Lord. And I want to tell you, every one of us needs to recognize something. We are not indispensable. None of us are, not, none of us are indispensable. There is no person in this room, there is no person in this world that could stop the plan of God by their lack of participation. If God does not choose, if, if, if you do not choose to accept the will and the call of God in the Kairos moment of the Lord, God will pick somebody else. Right. I've had seasons, I've had times where the Lord would tell me to do something and I would do it. And seemingly crazy things, going to a certain place and, and you know, doing a crusade or going to this place and planting a, a church or a life group. But one time the Lord told me as I went to this place, he said, you weren't my first choice for this. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I thank you, but I'm not really sure how to take that. And, and he spoke to me, he said, you know, there were several other people I told to do this before and they would not do it. And he said, you were the first one who said yes. And I realized that somewhere in there was a compliment, but no. <laughs> but the reality is this. Sometimes when you're faithful in stewarding something that God has for you to do, you're actually taking on an assignment that God had asked other people to do, but they would not. Because none of us are indispensable. God is looking for people who are faithful. And to him who faithfully stewards their talents, their abilities, but also stewards what God is telling them to do, he will get more. So how do you see revival birth? How do you see a move of God? Let's not talk about some faraway place. How do you see it here in Kalamazoo? How do you see it in your community? Well, first of all, you need to recognize what are the Kairos opportunities and the Kairos moments that God is placing in front of each of you? This is something I've taught in our church, and how we do it in our church is this way. We, we, uh, I'll teach on evangelism in our church in Mexico. We, uh, when we first planted the church, we, we really did it this way. We had about 30 or so people, and we taught our people. We said, listen, every single one of you are called to evangelize. Every single one of you are called to reach your people, but how do you actually do it? Because we teach about it, but it's like, okay... How do you act? We need a plan to actually make it happen. So I said, this is what we're going to do. Everyone gets a sheet of paper. Everyone took a sheet of paper. Write down the names of five to ten people you know in your, in your life, in your daily interaction, that you know do not know the Lord. 
wrote it down on two sheets of paper. Half stayed in our prayer house and half went with them. We prayed over those names every day for a week. We fasted for those names in the list, the list of little stack of names about yay tall. We prayed over them. We prayed by name for them. And the next week we said, all right, now comes the work. Who wants to go and share the gospel with the first person on your list? We gave a Bible to anyone who was willing to go. They went, gave a Bible and an invitation to church, prayed for the person, ministered to the people. And over the course of you know, three or four weeks, people worked through their lists. And our church doubled that year. We did it the next year, it doubled again. And every year, the church has consistently, consistently doubled. And that's how we have now like 35 different house groups and things growing. And like on Sunday, we'll have like six or seven services. Uh, uh, not to say that, don't, not to think, make you think it's like a mega church that's got all, all these services. It's like spread out over like three cities and multiple different sectors because it's people that can't all come together in one place because uh, no one has cars. So we have to go to them and their areas, their barrios, their communities. And so, but it happened when people recognized that God was giving them a Kairos moment right. and empowering them in a Kairos moment to reach the lost in their community, yeah. to reach their friends, their family, their sphere of influence. So how does it look here in Kalamazoo? How does it look for you? It means you need to look into the, 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 the community that God has placed you in. And say, God, who are the people you've placed within my sphere of influence? Who am I called to reach for you? Who am I called to take your gospel to? What are the Kairos moments that you're placing in front of me? I want to tell you, the more we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, the more our schedules get messed up. And the, the, the later we get for things. I'm late for meetings all the time. I feel like I'm perpetually running late for something. But part of it is, I've learned, I've learned that when the Holy Spirit says to stop and do something or stop for someone to stop for them, and that one person is, worth, is more valuable than our plans and our schedules. You know, Heidi Baker has been a, a mentor in, in my wife and I in our lives, and she has a phrase that she says, stop for the one. Stop for the one that's in front of you. If you want to reach the multitudes... We think about the multitudes, but how do you reach the multitudes? You stop for the multitude one at a time. And then you do that, you'll reach the multitudes. There was one time I was leaving a Home Depot. We have Home Depot in Reynosa. And I was, uh, I was running late for a meeting. And I was supposed to meet with these pastors, but I'd bought material for the guys building at the refugee center. And I'm going, and I'm, I'm running late. And there's this little, little old lady sitting outside of the, uh, uh, sitting outside of the Home Depot um, in the parking lot, and she's there selling candy, and she had a sign that said that she had cancer, and that she, please buy candy, something like that. And so I, I walked past her, and she said, quiere comprar un dulce, you want to buy candy? And I said, no, no, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have time, I'll buy something next time, God bless you. I walked onto my car. Get in the car, turn it on, it's about 150 degrees outside, and turn it on, I'm exaggerating, it's not 150, but it is hot, 120 maybe, but turned on the car, had the air conditioner on, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says, if you'll go pray for that lady, I want to heal her. Ah. And I'm like, God, I'm late. <laughs> and I've already turned on the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Spirit understands these things. Come on. My comfort is, no. <laughs> Got to be a priority. And he said, go pray for her. I said, I don't have time. And I felt 
fear of the Lord. I felt that the anger of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. We, we can never forget that sometimes our, our disobedience really brings about the anger, the frustration of the Holy Spirit. It grieves him. <laughs> so I turned off my car. I said, okay. I got out of the car, parked it again, went, ran back over to the lady, and I just asked her, can I pray for you? And she just wept and wept. I led her to the Lord, laid hands on her, prayed for her. I, I didn't ever, I've never seen her again. I don't know if she was healed or not. But I laid hands on her and prayed for her, gave her money, blessed her, and went on to my meeting. Here's the thing, I almost missed it. Yeah. Almost missed it. See, how do we steward a Kairos moment? We have to look at the people that are in crisis around us, and when the Holy Spirit touches our hearts, we volunteer and say, I'm going to be part of this. I want to help. What is the crisis? What, are the, what, what, what is the flood? What is the chaos that's happening in your community around you? Maybe living here in America, it's not a season of crisis to the next, but there are people in crisis. There are single mothers. We've had a, yesterday was an amazing, yesterday, uh, Friday, amazing miracle of the Supreme Court striking down Roe v. Wade. Incredible miracle, what church has been praying for for so many years. But I want to tell you, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this crisis, there is, there is a wave of mothers that are going to have babies. There's a wave of mothers that are saying, what am I going to do with this baby? Will the church rise up? Will you rise up? It's easy to say, there are others who can do that. There are other organizations. Someone else will handle that. But instead, we need to learn to say, God, I see the crisis and I'll volunteer. I'll step into the chaos. I'll step into the storm. When we had the hurricanes in Reynosa, Hurricane Reynosa, I told my wife, you know, the hurricane was, it was pretty much had passed over, but it was still flooding outside. And I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to go help our neighbors. And she said, what are you doing? It's flooding outside and there's like water going down the streets. And she said, what are, and then she said this, she said, normal people stay inside during a hurricane. And I said, you know, you didn't marry a normal person. I'm going. <laughs> Let me go. I have, I have a great wife. Going out, getting through, driving through water up to the running boards of the truck, up to the edge, bottom of the truck, going and helping our, little, our neighbors get out of their houses, little elderly people that had got caught in flash floods. What's the flood? What's the crisis yeah. in our lives? What are you, what's happening in our communities? We have to look and say, I'm willing to go into the storm. I'm willing to walk into the chaos. I'm willing to walk into the situations because I, there's a Kairos moment of God here and I'm willing to step into people's mess so that I can see the power of God move. How you steward a Kairos moment will oftentimes dictate whether you get another opportunity like that again. Right. Kairos moments must be viewed as an opportunity. There are Kairos opportunities for service that sometimes we will have an opportunity that we may never have again. Why? Because we may never see that person again. One time I was in the Philippines. What's the time? I should stop. 8.30 is when I should stop, right? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so, okay, if I share one more story? All right. Kairos moment. I was in the Philippines. I think it's a Kairos moment, so you guys are good. We can go Mexican style with the church service tonight, right? <laughs> no, we want to respect people's time. Um, I was in the Philippines one time, and the Lord spoke to me. 
we were about to do a, a crusade, and he said, tonight the impossible will be possible. Yeah. And oftentimes, there will be moments in our lives where God will speak a word, and it will be a word of faith. There's a gift of faith. The Bible says that that's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of faith. The gift of faith is simply recognizing that there's a supernatural faith that comes from God for that moment to have a faith beyond what you would normally have. That was one of the few times I've ever operated, in, or one of the first times I'd ever operated in a gift of faith. And the Lord said, there's coming, there's gonna, tonight the impossible is going to be possible. So I'm, when I hear something like that from the Lord, I'm like looking around, okay, I'm waiting for them to roll a dead body in or something like that for us to pray for to be raised. And I'm praying, okay, God, what is it? Who is it? And, you know, it's the Philippines. Every, you know, so many people are sick. And there, I see a man who, had lo- who was missing a leg and it was on crutches. And I thought, well, that's fairly impossible. See if God regrows that leg. So as I'm on my way over to pray for the man that was missing the leg, um, somebody stops me and says, um, help, help us pray for this kid. So I turn, I'm like, there goes my... The guy I was supposed to pray for, but he left, he walked away, and I came up, and there was this little child that had cerebral palsy, that had never walked before, and he was about, probably about five or six years old, um, uh, probably, actually, no, probably about seven, maybe, but he looked like he was about five, never walked, his, his ankles were, were curled inward, and his little hands were cur- like this, and he couldn't speak, and he, he obviously, even in his features, in his face, it was obvious that he had cerebral, had cerebral palsy, he was had severe um, uh, retraso, um, no, like, uh, development issues, yeah, he was severely, uh, severely, um, had severe development issues, and they're trying, they're praying for him, and the mother had initially just come for prayer because her back hurt because she'd carried him every day of his life, and she was not expecting any kind of miracle for him, because in her mind, this was something so impossible that, you know, it was beyond the scope of anything anyone would normally think would be healed. But the Lord has spoken that tonight the impossible would be possible. So he came and just started laying hands on this kid and praying for him. And, and it, it wasn't like it happened instantly. That was the interesting thing. We prayed for him. We prayed for him probably about 30 minutes. And the mother was really tired. She was done. She wanted us to quit. And the pastor's we're coming up. The Filipino pastors are coming up and saying, we need to go. It's late. We have to get up very early in the morning. We have to go. Let these people go. And the Lord, uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, we kept praying. Pastors over there looking. They're standing behind the lady going, looking at their watches. Like, it's time. It's time. I said, we were, I was about ready to quit. And the Holy Spirit spoke to one of the other people that was praying and asked a question, how hard are you willing to pray for this child's breakthrough? And so we said, Lord, we're willing to pray as long as it takes. So we laid hands on him again, and we prayed. And as we prayed for another 10 minutes or so, he's standing, he's just standing like that, just being supported like that. And all of a sudden, he straightens out, and his little, he sticks his leg out, and the little foot that had been curled inward straightens out and takes a step. And the other foot straightens out, and he takes another step. And then he, then the people that were holding him and supporting him up let go of him because they were shocked. The mother had never seen that before. She let him go in, just in shock, and his hands extended. He looked around and realized he was standing for the first time in his life, wow. and he takes off running. 
and he's like running laps around the basketball court that we were doing the crusade in. We, we, we actually had to rescue him. He ran into the road. He ran into the road, and we're like, this wouldn't be a horrible ending to this particular miracle. But he goes running into the road, and he's running upstairs and up the bleachers, and here, no one could keep up with the kid, because when God heals, he heals completely. Woo. <laughs> but I almost quit. I almost quit. 48 minutes into it, we were ready to quit. But God did the miracle. I'm telling you, sometimes there are moments in our life where God is saying, you have an opportunity of Kairos. I mean, he speaks something over us. Amen. And it's real easy in those moments to say, I don't know, maybe I missed God, maybe I didn't understand, maybe I didn't hear right. And all of a sudden, in that place, quit right before, in the 48th minute, right before the miracle happens. See, to walk in a, to steward a Kairos moment faithfully, it requires a tenacity, a tenacity of, of, of your spirit, a tenacity of, a spiritual tenacity to hold on to the promise of God and say, Lord, I won't let you go. I will, you've, you have said, you have said, you have promised this. And all of a sudden, when you faithfully steward those little moments of Kairos, you see that suddenly those little Kairos moments become large Kairos movements. The small faithfulness in the small Kairos moments can create a Kairos movement that will impact, that will have an impact far beyond just simply what you can see and what you know. But it requires a willingness. A willingness and a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord to say, God, I don't want to be like the church that fired William Seymour. That missed the moment of our visitation. You know, when Jesus stood in front, stood over, looked over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times have I longed to welcome you in and cover you like a mother hen covers their chicks? And he goes on to describe all the different things that were about to happen. Because he says this, he says, you did not recognize the kairos of your visitation. They didn't discern Jesus. I don't know about you. I can't afford to not discern Jesus and what he's doing in our life. Last night we talked about God opening our eyes and opening our ears so we can see and hear and know his heart, know his plan. But after our ears and eyes are open, it requires something else from us. In fact, it requires a greater level of responsibility. When you're, when you're deaf and blind, there's not a lot of responsibility, not a lot that the Lord requires of you. But when he opens your ears and your eyes, there's a higher level of accountability. That when you now can hear the will of God, you hear the word of God, and you recognize a Kairos moment, then comes the really hard part, to say yes. To say yes and continue to say yes. When God moved my wife and I to Mexico, I thought it was a test of obedience. That maybe, and that if we passed the test, we could go somewhere better. Our first year there was just hell on earth. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. We lost 95% of our support because we wouldn't, we wouldn't renounce the, the move of the Holy Spirit. I was supported by people that were very conservative, from a very conservative denomination. We lost our support. 
We were there, we had nothing. We planted a church, and the pastor I planted the church with, when I was in, when I went to visit Mozambique, I came back and he had kicked us out of the church that we built and planted. Betrayed us. We, we were in a house that he owned, and he was jealous because in three months the church had grown more than in his whole in his whole life of ministry there. He'd seen we had 50 people in the church, this building that he had for many years, and never could get a congregation built. Three months we had a congregation of 50 people, people being healed of cancer. Glory of God being poured, amazing miracles happening. Come back and just kicked us out. Threw our stuff into the street. Literally, threw our stuff into the street. Our little our non-Christian neighbors were the ones that rescued our 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 things, some of our things. Some people didn't rent, some people took it. And came back and we didn't have anything. We didn't have a house. We had nothing. And in the middle of that, the Lord speaks to me and he says, You cannot accomplish a long-term vision with a short-term mentality. You have to be willing to live the rest of your life here in Reynosa. You have to be willing to live here until you die or until I move you. you know, that's easy to say yes to when there's fire, revival, glory. Everybody wants to stay in a place where there's anointing and fire and glory and there's things happening. But when everything is going wrong and God says, I'm demanding of you your yes, even though you cannot see the fruit yet of your labor and you don't know what fruit is going to come of this? And I just simply said, Lord, we're here and we'll stay here for the rest of our lives or until you move us. And when I said that, I didn't know what happened, but something changed in the spirit. It's interesting, I, I'm not in the office of a pastor in the fivefold giftings. That's not my primary gifting. But people in the community started calling me pastor. Before they always called me missionary or brother everyone in Mexico has a title. So they started calling me pastor. I would correct them and say, I'm not a pastor. I mean, I'm leading churches and stuff, but I'm not a pastor. And they'd say, pastor, that's pastor. And I realized what happened in the spirit. They knew that I wasn't going anywhere. Because the pastor is the one who stays. The pastor is someone that you can trust for your life. You can trust, and you know that's going to be someone that's going to stick with you through thick and thin. Missionaries, in their opinion, on the border were the ones who come once a year, dump a load of food or a load of clothes or whatever, used clothes, everything they don't want, drop it with the people, wash their hands, pray for them, and go back to their comfortable place somewhere else. But when something happened in my heart and I said, I'm willing to go and I'm willing to stay, everything changed in our ministry, everything changed in our life. Some of you, God is asking you, are you willing to step into the midst of the chaos of the people around you? Maybe you've got family around you. Maybe you've got neighbors that fight. Maybe you've got neighbors that are that domestic violence going on in your area. Maybe there's drug addiction. Are you willing to rise up and say, God, give me the drug addicts. God, give me the, the, the refugees and the migrants, God. Give me the, the people that are here that don't have homes. Give me the homeless Open my eyes and show me how. And he will. If you start praying these dangerous prayers, I call them, these dangerous prayers of saying, God, use me. Open my eyes. And then when he places a problem in front of you, simply say, yes, I'll love that person. I'll be the hands and feet of Jesus to that person. There are certain things the Lord tells us to do. You read in the Old Testament, 
and in the New Testament, it was take care of the poor. Take care of the refugee. Take care of the, of the, of the, of the, the foreigner among you. The oppressed, the broken. Take care of the fatherless. That doesn't mean just people that have law, are physically orphans. It means the people that have deadbeat dads, yeah. kids that have deadbeat dads that don't have, have no father figure. And if you begin to do those things, here's the thing, you steward the faithful, you steward those little Kairos moments and you're a father figure to some little child that doesn't have a dad in their life, suddenly God will give you the ability to be father of many. And in those little moments of faithfulness, create huge movements that change nations and create movements that change communities and change can change thousands and thousands of lives are you willing to say yes to the kairos moments of god if you are i want to invite you just stand to your feet and we're going to pray if you're willing to say yes hey to yes to the kairos plans of god that is invite you to come and just just kneel before the lord and cry out to him and say, God, open my eyes so that I don't miss it. I, want to tell, I can't tell you how many times I've almost missed it. And I'll be honest, there's been so many times where I've missed it. Learn from the moments you miss it. Because you will. Learn from the times you almost missed it. And say yes to God. Never reject a Kairos moment. I invite you, this is, this is not just something, hey, to receive an impartation from me. I, I have nothing to give you except, oh, true, Jesus himself. I have nothing to give you more than Jesus. And he is everything. He said, I Say it. 